started. Welcome to the Financial Purpose Podcast. All opinions expressed by me or guests of the podcast are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Life Moves Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any financial or investment decisions. Clients of Life Moves Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hello, I'm your host, Dale Schaefer, and here's another great episode starting now. Let's go. I'm joined today by a guest, a friend of mine, business attorney, uh, Wendy Anderson is on the show. Wendy, please say hello to everybody. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> Good morning. Afternoon, evening, whatever you're listening to. True, true. And, uh, Wendy, if you if you wouldn't mind, um, give us just a little bit of a brief introduction of, of who you are and uh, a little bit about your, your firm and your practice. Sure. Um, so I am a business attorney licensed in Arizona. I've been practicing for almost nine years, and before I went to law school, I was working in the corporate world. So I've got 24 years of corporate experience, and I went to law school, decided to work as a business attorney so that I could help small business owners protect their business and understand what their legal obligations were and legal rights, and uh, allowing them to focus on what they do best and not have to worry in the back of their minds if there was any lingering legal effect to anything that they have me to call. And uh, I love being that resource for them. Excellent. And I, I think that's probably a really good segue um, because you, you've you been emailing, uh, I know not just me, but I felt like it just was me for multiple uh, months, uh, probably since sometime back in the fall. Um, and you've been saying, hey, this Corporate Transparency Act is coming. Hey, the Corporate Transparency yeah. Act is coming. And I have just looked at it and go, yeah, I probably don't need to do anything about that. Yeah, I probably don't need to do anything about that. And then I read up on it and I was like, oh, no, I need to do something about that. And I'm not the only business in the world that probably needs to do that. So uh, today I, I really I want for the listeners, for uh, my business owner clients, your business owner clients, any business owner listening to this, um, this is an episode you must listen to because it has some pretty pretty sticky consequences um if if we don't get this done so let me let me kind okay. of up the bus and let's start with this and and wendy from your perspective because you've done a lot of work on this what exactly is the corporate transparency act uh yes the corporate transparency act is a federal law that was passed in 2021 as part of the national defense authorization act which was just a much larger defense act but the Corporate Transparency Act very specifically was passed to combat the flow of illegal money in this country, money that finances things like terrorism, drug and human trafficking, um, money laundering, all sorts of illegal activities. And what um, I suppose Congress or the government found is that this money flows through small shell companies that are anonymously set up and make it very difficult for law enforcement to find that money and therefore to combat those crimes. Mm -hmm. So this law was set up to reduce the anonymity that exists with some very small companies and uh, allow law enforcement to have a better tool in combating um, these crimes. Yeah. And so I, I think I, I, I get the gist of that. And, and I, it's funny because when we talk about things that were passed as legislation in 2020 and 2021, and it was just a, a, a flurry of congressional acts and things. So this got kind of lost in there somewhere. Um, and then now we have this deadline. So does this law apply to, to all of the businesses? Because there's a lot of businesses in the country, um, a lot of single member LLCs, a lot of sole props, uh, that kind of thing. Right. These are businesses that have been around for a long time. They have, you know, IRS tax filings. They have state, sure. you know, uh, articles of organization, things like that. So who does this apply to exactly? This this law specifically applies to all business entities that are registered with a state regulatory agency. In Arizona, it happens to be the Arizona Corporation Commission. Yeah. In other states, it might be their secretary of state. 
So if you are an entity registered with uh, those types of entities, um, you are subject to this law. So entities that are sole proprietorships are not subject to this law because they are not registered entities. Um, there are exceptions to um, who is considered subject to this law. And there's about 23 categories of exceptions. If you don't fall into one of the exceptions, then you have to follow this law. And the um, the biggest exemptions, uh, there's probably three that are going to be, you know, most people would look at and say, oh, yeah, I fit into that category. The first exemption is if your business is totally inactive. If you haven't done business for the last, I believe it's three years, you don't have any income, you know, you may not have been filing taxes. If you're truly inactive, even if you're still registered, you are exempt. Um, you could go and terminate that entity if you want, or I suppose you can leave it as an active entity, but truly it is inactive from all business aspects. They're exempt. The second category that's exempt is what they're calling um, large operating companies. And the threshold for what is considered under this law, a large operating company, is a company that has 20 full-time employees or more and has filed uh, $5 million or more in revenue on their most recent tax return, and they're based in the U.S. So if you fit those three categories, you're in the U.S., you have 20 or more employees, and you have $5 million or more in revenue on your taxes, you are exempt from this law. Because the purpose of this law is to find those small companies that the money is flowing through. Tends not to be through larger companies. Those are the biggest exemptions. If you fall into one or those are two. The other large one is um, nonprofit, rival on C3s. So if you are uh, a director or an executive director of a 501c3, you are exempt because you are otherwise regulated by the federal government, which is the IRS. The other exemptions also tend to be types of companies that are also regulated in other ways by the federal government. They can find you other ways through a license or um, something like that. And so this uh, reporting under the Corporate Transparency Act is not needed. Once you take those exemptions out, it still leaves uh, about 32 million businesses in the U.S. that are subject to the Corporate Transparency Act that must report their information that we're going to talk about. So this is like, the, at that number, um, just based on, you know, I recently completed some exit planning training. And so we talked a lot about the business culture and composition in the country. And so when you're talking about 32 million businesses that are impacted, I mean, this is pretty much every Every single member LLC, even if you've taken an S-Corp election, I mean, this is a lot of businesses. It's a lot of businesses. Um, and this law really is the largest federal legislation affecting businesses in years. In in my nine years of practicing, I have not seen something so all-encompassing, all affecting so many of my clients ever. Right. So this really is a big deal, um, even though, as as we'll see, it's not that cumbersome to comply with this. It's not that difficult to do what we're going to be required to do, but it does affect so many people. And as you said, it was pretty under the radar until recently. I've been following it for two years, but most people don't know anything about it. And unfortunately, a lot of people still don't know anything about it, which is why I'm so glad to be talking about this with you, Yeah, that we can tell people that they do have obligations um, under this. So I, I, I'm going to, I, I want to back up on two points here um, because we were sharing notes and you, you gave me a lot of really good talking points and things to consider. And I appreciate that. Um, one of the things that you mentioned uh, about who it applies to is that uh, the reporting company is the, the corporation or the LLC or whatever the entity is uh, that has to file and about 32 million of those. And then one of the notes is that um, people who are related to that reporting company, so beneficial owners, and we can talk about what that term means, but some of these people or actually anybody who's related to the reporting company will have to file personal information. So here's the question, because um, when we started talking about 
putting this together a couple of weeks ago, I went out and was doing a little bit of research. And of course, I ended up down like this social media rabbit hole over here. <laughs> and a lot of the backlash, not that backlash is going to do any good at this point, but a lot of the backlash that I'm seeing is that this is a massive invasion of privacy. So thoughts on on that, since it requires the owners to submit so much personal information, especially about like if there's a spouse partner and I mean, just all kinds of, it, it seems like it's a little bit of an invasion there. Sure. Well, first, let me just explain what will be required for people and what exactly is a beneficial owner, because that is the term that's being used here. And a beneficial owner under this act, and and in banking, there may be a different definition of a beneficial owner. They've been using that term for years um, in banking. But under this law, a beneficial owner is either a person who owns 25% or more of the entity, whether it's shares of the company, whether it's you have a membership interest, um, so 25% or more, or it's somebody who has direct or even indirect control over um, significant decisions of the company. So let's say you've got um, an LLC that where there are four members and they're equal members. Well, all four of them own 25%. And so all of them are beneficial owners for this purpose. But let's also say that they have um, an employee who is the president and they have an employee who is um, the general counsel and they have maybe a three-person board of directors. So they've got some other folks there who don't own the company, but those folks as a president, as a general counsel, as a board of directors, they are all charged with making significant decisions on behalf of that company. All of those people would be considered beneficial owners. Wow. Now, in the case in the case of a single member LLC, where maybe there's one person running the business, and uh, let's say they're a consultant of some sort, they've got one beneficial owner. They own the company, and they're the one making the decision. So that's a fairly straightforward situation. But there may be companies out there that fall under the threshold of they don't have 20 employees and they don't have five million or more in revenue but they still have a lot of people touching aspects of the business. All of those people should be considered beneficial owners because they all are controlling aspects of the business. And according to this law, if there is illegal activity going on or illegal money flowing through, those are the people that would know about it. And so that's who the federal government um, wants to know about. And this law is administered by FinCEN, which is the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. So we use that term FinCEN all the time. Yeah. Um, so those are who beneficial owners are. And if you are a beneficial owner, what you are going to need to report to the government, we'll talk about timelines in a little while, but you will need to report your name, your address, your birth date, um, and a unique identifying um, number, which is, uh, a number from your driver's license or passport are probably the, the two most common documents that you would use. Um, that unique identifying number and a photo or an image of that document. Mm. So if I'm the owner of an LLC, I have to provide my name, Wendy Anderson, my home address, my birth date, and my driver's license or passport number and a photo of that document that's unexpired. It's got to be a current document. Because that's how the government's going to know who I am. And if something's going wrong through my company or I'm doing something illegal, that's how they're going to find me. And is it an invasion of privacy going back to your question? Maybe. Obviously, it's very sensitive information, right? This is the type of information that we all try and keep as close as possible um, just in this age of, you know, the, the digital world that we live in. Right. But- but when you think about it a different way, who gives me my passport? The federal government has issued me my passport, so they sort of already have that number. The state has issued my driver's license, so the state government has that number. Somebody knows my birth date, right? I mean, it's and, and it's on my addresses on my tax return. This information is already in other people's hands. This database that FinCEN has created is simply putting all the information and tying it to that entity that I own, which may not be 
anywhere else, you know, within the government other than uh, perhaps on a tax return. So I do understand those feelings and I do understand that people feel this is overreaching and an invasion of privacy. Yeah. But, you know, I also, from a practical standpoint, know that how much privacy, you know, really exists out there anyway. And the bottom line is we don't have a choice. This is the law, whether we like it or not. Yeah. Right? And we, well, we don't have to like it, um, but it is it is something that we have to do. So so that's what, you know, the beneficial owner is and, and what they are going to have to provide. Okay. So then because you just talked about FinCEND, um, that was one of the things when I realized that it was FinCEND regulated, a little like a little flag went up in my head and I'm like, wait a minute, like I get why I'm regulated, right? Well, like why my business as a financial advisor would would fall under FinCEN. But right. I think the question that a lot of business owners are probably asking, um, and if they aren't asking, they might be asking now, which is what in the world does FinCEN have to do with a non-financial small business? Well, what FinCEN stands for is Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. So- they're enforcing um, penalties, punishments for for financial crimes, and what this law is intended to combat is the flow of money through these small companies that finances drug and human trafficking, terrorism, other money laundering, um, you know, all of all of those types of crimes. They are looking for the flow of money so that they can cut off that flow of money. And hopefully combat those crimes. If there's no money, then there can be no trafficking. If there's no money, there can be no terrorism, right? I, I mean, or obviously it's you know less effective. Um, yes, well, I'm, I'm not right. I'm not an expert in the criminal aspect of this, but but that's the thought. So it is. They are looking for the flow of money through small companies. They're not looking to regulate my law firm. They're not looking to regulate a consultant or a home improvement company. They're looking to follow the money if the money is flowing through those companies funding these criminal activities. Okay. Um, so you you since we're talking about FinCEN, um, you had some notes on here about uh, about being assigned a FinCEN identifier. So tell me a little bit about what that means. Sure. So there are, um, actually, let me first, because it'll feed into this, let me talk about um, a company applicant. Okay. So, because that that has some um, application to the FinCEN identifier. So, you've got the beneficial owners who are the people that own or run the company. They have to report. A company applicant is the person who forms the company with the Corporation Commission or the Secretary of State. It's an administrative function, perhaps. It could be one of the owners, but it doesn't have to be. It might be a CPA, it might be an attorney. It might be um, the office manager of your business. It doesn't matter who it is. All it has to be is the person who registers your entity with the Corporation Commission or the person who oversees that as well. So you can have two company applicants. Let's say you have an attorney and a paralegal, right? The attorney directs the paralegal how to set it up. The paralegal goes online and sets it up. They're the company applicants. They will be listed uh, they must be listed in FinCEN also for any company that is formed January 1st of 2024, three days ago, going forward. So if your company was formed in 2023 or earlier, company applicant is irrelevant. The company was already formed. It doesn't matter. Going forward in 2024, you have to list your company applicant as well as your beneficial owners. So let's say you do have um, a paralegal and it's their job to do this. Well, they're going to be filing this information on behalf of all sorts of companies that are the firm's clients going forward. Mm -hmm. Every time they file, they're going to have to put in their name, their address, their date of birth, and their unique number with the image of their number. To, to make it easier on somebody like that, or on somebody that owns many businesses, or that is a manager of many businesses, or would have to put the information in multiple times, They've created the FinCEN identifier. What that is, is you ask FinCEN um, for a unique number. You give them your information one time. They give you the, the number, and then that number can be used 
anytime your information, either as a beneficial owner or as a company applicant, is required. And you don't have to resubmit the information every time. Okay. The other, the other um, benefit to having a FinCEN identifier is, as a person, whether I'm the company applicant or beneficial owner, I don't want to give my information to any other person if I don't have to. If I have to give it to the government, I understand that. But if I can uh, just give it, let's say you and I are forming a company and you're, you say, Wendy, I need your information to fill out this beneficial owner report. I would rather say, here's my FinCEN number rather than say, okay, Dale, here's here's my name. Here's my address. Here's my birthday. Here's my, my passport number. I don't want to give that to you. And you as a company don't want to have to store that private personal information because you then would be responsible if there's any data breaches or any unauthorized access of that information. I would much rather just put my information directly into the FinCEN database, get a number, and then give you that number whenever I need to give you my information or give my information to anybody else as a company applicant or beneficial owner. So it's a measure of privacy for me knowing I've only put my information in one time and not given it to other people to mess around with. So on that note, I, my brain is like going up, where else will this be used? And it sounds like this is something that you could be asked for uh, if your business is filing for a new bank account or some sort of um, vendor type relationship. Do you see that being kind of like a forward use of this? information? Um, as of right now, I don't. I have not seen any information in my two years about reading about this law. I haven't seen any additional uses other than the um, intention to combat financial crimes. Okay. So the banking industry has their own uh, process where they ask for all the information, right? And when you open a bank account, you have to get in all sorts of stuff. I don't see this changing that necessarily. Um, and I certainly don't see it being used for anything other than government purposes. Okay. Um, I don't even necessarily see a state purpose right now. And in fact, I do know that there are a few states, um, Arizona, not yet. I haven't heard anything about Arizona, but um, other states are putting forth their own similar state laws. I don't know that any of them have passed yet, but I do know that they're in the works. New York is one state that I heard about. Um, so it is possible that on a state level, we are going to have to do this going forward, but we're not there yet. Right now, this is just federal, and I don't see any other uses right now for this. Okay. Yeah, I think that I think that'll be interesting. Um, okay. And so we're talking about People who who have to file this and and defense identifier, how that's going to work, um, is this a is that a good segue to kind of talk about the the and I know you touched on the timeframes, um, but depending on when the company was formed, you have deadlines. Yes. Can you touch on those just so that way I can be sure that even I'm crystal clear. Is it clear about that? Oh, it's only be crystal clear on this particular <laughs> point. And that yeah. that is not gonna happen today. Yeah. Um where you stand right now is that if your business was formed with your state registration agency before twelve thirty one of twenty three, so last week, last weekend, um you have one year to file with Vincent. You have until I believe they listed as January 1st of 25 or December 31st of 24. So you've got a year to put this information in the system. If your business is formed in 2024, you have 90 days to file the information from the date of your filing. If your business is formed in 2025 or after, you've only got to have 30 days, 30 days to do it. So as soon as you file your entity with the Arizona Corporation Commission or another state secretary of state, you are going to want to go pretty much right away and fill out your beneficial owner information report just so that it's done. Because in the future, you will only have 30 days to do it. Now, I said if only we could be crystal clear because I have seen 
that there is some sort of uh, bill going through Congress right now to extend the deadlines and give people longer amounts of time to do it. Longer than we a year. Yes, longer than a year. That um, We're never going to get it done. It's like the I travel know. ID, right? The travel ID, you know, the little right. keeps getting pushed back. It's Not getting extended. Yeah. Right. So I, I don't know exactly. And until there's something definitive, I'm telling my clients, consider that you have a year, if you were previously registered, a year to do it, and maybe look to do it sometime in the fall, right? Let's let the system get its bugs out. It's a new online database. 32 million entities are going to be putting information in at some point. Let them work out the bugs, give them a few months, and then file your information in August, September, October, definitely, you know, before the deadline, but there's no penalty for you to wait another nine or 10 months at this point. Yeah. So we don't don't need to rush out today. Right. Necessarily and do this unless you're one of those people who just wants to have it done. But um, now I I popped onto the the Corporation Commission's website and I saw that they write right at the top uh, in their, you know, menu field, they have the, the link about uh, filing for this. But what I'm curious about is, and I, I tried to kind of do this, but you know, you can only go so far setting up a, you know, a, an LLC that you don't really intend to set up before it's like, no, I actually really don't want another LLC, especially not now. Right. So, right. Right. Um, so I wonder if there, and who knows, maybe this will be there. They're going to have to, the States are going to come up with some efficiency for when you file for your articles of organization it will automatically take you to, you know, that beneficial owner filing or something of that nature. Who knows, right? Yeah, I I don't know because you don't have to file with FinCEN immediately, right? There's never going to be an immediate. So you can set up your LLC and I don't believe that you will ever have less than 30 days to, to file with FinCEN. So they may have that link, whether you have to do it immediately or not you know, that, that remains to be seen, but, um, certainly that's helpful. And having that information there will alert people to the fact of this law that may not know it already. Okay. Um, so that's good. I would suspect a lot of states are going to be doing something like that just as a help. Yeah. So is this, when is this like a, a one and done kind of thing? Like I file once, and then I never have to look at this again, or is there, is this like an annual thing or what are we saying that? It's a once and done only if you never have any changes. So you file your information and that information, as we've talked about is your name, which might change, right? People have name changes. Your date of birth probably won't change. Your, um, your home address absolutely could change. And your identifying number absolutely could change, Um, right? You get a new passport every 10 years. You get a new driver's license, however often they require you to. And even if the number doesn't change, that image is going to change. So anytime there's a change in your beneficial owner information, you have to file a change and you'll have 30 days to do that from the date of the change. So that is something to always be aware of. Okay. Um, for people to think about, oh, I just had a change. I have to file that change. Or if you have a change with your business, right? If your business, uh, the information you'll have to file uh, for your business as the reporting company is the business's name, its business address, um, the EIN, and the state of formation. So um, some of that information could change. Certainly your address could change. Uh, Your EIN is unlikely, but sometimes it does. Um, And your state of formation unless you may move your entity, that that does happen. Um, so that information has to be updated. The only thing that does not have to be updated ever, unless you made a mistake the first time, is the company applicant. So in 2024 or later, the person who files your entity with your state agency, they have to put all their information in, but that's a once and done. As long as that information was correct when they did it, you don't have to update that because the company applicant is not necessarily involved with the company at all. Yeah. They're just the one who did the filing, right? It was an administrative task. They're not a beneficial. If they're a beneficial owner separately, they have to update. But if it was the paralegal we were talking about or an attorney or a CPA, 
they don't necessarily have any control over the business. They simply did the filing. That does not ever have to be updated. Okay. Even if their information changes, that doesn't matter. So, Wendy, what if, what if as a business owner, if I look at this and I'm like this, if if I'm of the mind that this, okay, this is ridiculous, or, or let's say I'm not of that mind. Let's say, oh no, I think this is important. But either way, I forget to file by the end of the year. I don't get it done, or I choose not to. What happens? Yes. The way the law is written is that you will have violated this if you willfully, so intentionally, willfully, either file incorrect or incomplete information or just don't do it. So I suppose it's considered, you know, a, a, a safe harbor kind of thing. If you have no idea, you've been living under a rock for the last 364 days, it, it comes to December 31st of 2024 and you haven't filed, and you know nothing about it. I suppose legally you have not committed a violation because you did not willfully fail to file. But if you know about this law, if you've read about it and you say, I'm just not going to do it, it's an invasion of privacy, it's none of their business, or I just don't want to, then you have violated the law. And the penalties are stiff um, if, if you're caught. How you're going to be caught I'm, I don't know. I don't know exactly what Pinsen is going to do to verify the information. Yeah. I don't know how they're going to look at it. But if you are caught and you haven't done it and you willfully violate it, the penalties, civil penalties, um, $500 a day for every day you fail to file. $500 a day. A day. A day. Okay. And then the criminal penalties are fines of up to $10,000. And up to two years in prison. So, you know, money's one thing. Me being in prison, that's sort of a different thing. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, how, again, how they're going to enforce it, I don't know. Not my area of expertise. But I'm certainly advising all of my clients to follow this law and to, and to do their reporting on time and to, you know, just whatever objections they may have, just... You know, you've, you've got to live with that and get over it uh, because it's not worth it. It's not worth it. So I imagine with somewhere in the neighborhood of 32 million filers uh, that are going to be going into the database and putting all this information that they're whatever they're going to do to reconcile or verify or validate the information that's going to take some time. Um, and I would be really curious, not that I, I, I'm not going to tempt fate here, Wendy, but I would be really curious, like what, at what point does it cross from a civil, you know, to a, a criminal kind of situation? Because that, that's a huge difference. We're talking about, you know, being sued versus felony. Yeah. Uh, you know, the law does not specify. Um, and with all new laws, there is always a settling out period of, you know, what, what is done? How is it done? How is it, um, enforced. And I don't know the answer to that. Um, everything that I have read, everything that I have seen simply says there are civil and criminal penalties for a willful violation. Okay. So maybe it's both. I don't know. Um, you know, and, and maybe every situation is different. Sure. Um, yeah. I'm not sure about that. Um, yeah. Okay. So all this information we have to get it done at some point over the next, uh, it, it's a leap year, so I have to remember to add a day, minus four, so 362 days, does that sound Like right? that, yeah, yeah. We have to get this done, and so uh, what should a business owner who's listening to this at any point in the year that they find this information, or if they find it somewhere else, what do they do next? How do, how do they comply with this law? What, what are the steps? What do they need to do? Sure. Well, I think the first, there there's some preliminary things to do before you file. I am recommending to all of my clients that they make sure that they're filing with the Corporation Commission or any other state is current and accurate. I routinely go into, I, I'm in the Corporation Commission database daily for my clients, and I see so much inaccurate information because they haven't updated addresses, they haven't added or removed members or officers, just the day-to-day. -day. Legally, it has to be done, 
but people forget about it. The first thing that I'm telling everybody to do is go into your filing in whatever state it is and make it correct. Put the correct addresses in, make sure the correct people are there. Make sure you have a statutory agent with a physical address in the state, whether it's somebody with the company or whether it's a third party. A lot of people don't realize statutory agent cannot be located in the PO box. Statutory agent must be a physical office or home address where a process server can walk up and hand that statutory agent a lawsuit because that's the purpose of the statutory agent to just accept the lawsuit. Okay. So make sure that you've got a statutory agent with a physical address and that all the other information is accurate because I don't know. FinCEN is not going to compare the information at the state level. I don't know that they are and I don't know that they're not. So I know for myself, if they do any kind of comparison, I would like it to be the same information because I don't want to get any sort of a letter from anybody saying what's going on here. Especially right? not FinCEN. If a FinCEN letter comes to my door, I am very concerned. So- exactly. So the first thing, changing the corporation commission filing is um, is pretty easy. There's a, a fee to, to make any changes. It's not significant. That's not that difficult. That's my first step. Make sure it's correct. The second step would be if, if you have any inactive entities, truly inactive, you set them up years ago, or maybe you started an LLC because you bought a rental home and you've since sold that rental home, well, terminate the LLC because if you don't, you've got to report it to FinCEN. Um, unless it's truly inactive, but you know what? I'd rather just have it terminated. Sure. If I don't need it, why have it? It's just more for me to keep up and worry about. So get those terminated. And again, it's not that expensive. It's a pretty simple process with the Corp Commission to terminate those entities that you truly don't need. The other thing I am recommending to people uh, before they file is collect your beneficial owner information. Unless it's just you, then you have that information. But let's say you do have a number of shareholders who may own more than 25%. Um and and you have officers running the company or whatever, you need current information. You need to find them. And sometimes when you've got shares of a company or a membership interest in a company, that may have been passed down from generation to generation. And you may not actually know who the current owner is, right? If somebody's got a 30% stake in your company and they're a totally silent owner, all they want is the their their distributions or whatever, the money that they get from being an owner, right? They want their percentage whenever you declare a profit. Yeah. Um, and you don't know who they are. You need to take the time now to find them and get their information because you will be required to report that. I was so again, like that yeah. point, but that this probably, you need to make sure as a business owner that you're including any silent partners, especially yes. if their share is greater than the 25%. Right, right. If you have 20 owners who all own 5%, you don't have to report them. All you would have to do, though, is report the people that are running your company. Yep. So under the category of substantial control, who are the people running the company as opposed to who are the 20% or more owners? Remember, it's both of those. Anybody who's 20% or more and anybody who has substantial control over the company operations. So if you've got 25% owners, 25% owners, you don't have to report them, but you have to report who's running the company. Fair. Okay. So that's, you want to get all of that information before you start your filing, make sure you have everything. Or those people can all get their own FinCEN identifier and then give you that number. So give people time to get their FinCEN identifier and learn about this. Then they give you that number so that you have all of those numbers or the information when you need to file. So take the time now to do that. Um, and then once you're ready to file, you're ready to file. And there are two ways to do it online. And, you know, I went onto the website just the other day because it wasn't available until then, but now it's up. And uh, basically, if you go to FinCEN.gov, you'll be able to find it. Um, and you're looking for BOI, Beneficial Owner Information, and how to file that. All right. So this is FinCEN, F-I-N-C-E-N dot gov. 
and you're looking for BOI, which is as soon as you log on the website, it's right there. It's the very first thing you'll see. And so maybe one or two more clicks through, you'll see a screen that says you can file PDF or you can file online. And the difference here is if you file with the PDF, you're using a form with them that you later can go back if you have changes and only change the information that has changed. Everything else is still on the form. If you file online, it doesn't capture your information. It goes through and it's gone. So if you ever have a change, you have to put everything in again. So again, if you're a single member and it's just your information, not a big deal to do it either way. But if you are a company where you've got four, five, six, seven beneficial owners, whether they're owners or have substantial control, you don't want to have to redo all of that. And I would suggest that they do the PDF version where you can then update that same with only the information that changes going forward. And again, if your people use FinCEN identifiers, that never changes for the company. You always use that same number unless that person is no longer beneficial owner. They get fired from their job or they sell their shares or their interest. But if they have updates to their information, if they move or get a new driver's license, it's their responsibility to update the information in their FinCEN identifier, but then you have the same number. So you don't update anything because the person has updated their own information. Okay. So that FinCEN identifier definitely comes in handy. And then going online using the PDF version might be helpful, might save you some time in the future if you anticipate um, some changes and, and there's always changes, right? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, so we know where to go. We know what to do. Is it, does it cost anything to, to file and be compliant with this law? Doesn't cost anything to file unless you have somebody help you do it. Um, and just the time it takes to gather the information. Um, so the government has put a cost on your compliance, but it's, it's a cost in time. Um, so there's no fee. You're not going to go on. You're not going to put a credit card in. You're just filing the information. Okay. Very good. Okay. So is there anything, Wendy, that, that we didn't cover that is pertinent, important, that people really should know or consider when they're going through this process at some point over the next, as we determine, 362 days? Um, I do think what's important is to... Uh, take a look at your company documents, your formation documents, things like that, and make some updates. So if you're a company, a uh, corporation that has bylaws, if you're an LLC that has an operating agreement among your members, I believe it's prudent for you to amend those documents and include a section about beneficial owner information compliance so that anybody that signs on as a new member, anybody that is currently a member or a shareholder now has the legal obligation to provide this information, whether in the form of the FinCEN identifier number or in the form of their four pieces of information, they're legally obligated to do that. And if they don't do that, then it's considered a violation of that operating agreement. And, you know, the company could have some damages against them if the company is held responsible for incomplete information because one of its members refuse to give the information. So I think that there's a number of documents where this would be helpful. So like I said, bylaws, an operating agreement, shareholder agreements, if you've got those with your shareholders, um, purchase and sale agreements. If you're selling your business, you want the new buyer to be responsible for updating the beneficial owner information because the company's in there, right? The company is already listed as ABC Incorporated or ABC LLC. And now I want my information off because I don't own it anymore and I want your information in there. So I'm putting those in purchase and sale agreements now, those obligations uh, for that to be changed. And, you know, well, other things maybe like buy sell agreements. Yeah. Sorry. I was going to say on, on that yeah. point there from, from, an, from an exit standpoint, if you are selling or buying a business, who, for what you're doing with your contracts, Wendy, who are you recommending 
to be the the correct person to go into the system and make that change? Is it the selling owner and the buying owner, or is it one or the other? Well, I think that the buying owner has to make some changes because the seller won't have the buyer's date of birth and the and their you know passport number. So the buyer, the new owner, has to put their information in. I don't know if the seller, once the contract is done and the money is paid and the the transaction is complete, I don't know if the seller can remove their information without somebody putting new information in at the same time. So that's sort of an open question. I haven't been in the system. I haven't filed anything yet, so I don't know exactly what it's all going to look like. Got it. Um, but I do think there must be an obligation on the buyer for them to change the information because they have to put their stuff in sure. and for them to remove the seller if the seller can't do it themselves. But again, open question as to what the system allows. Okay. So there's there's obviously going to be a few, um, I, I, I imagine, a, any number of compliance related, how does this happen questions that are we're just going to learn, I suppose, yeah. the next year. I've got uh, I've got two specific ones that are sort of open questions, and one is if you are a single member LLC but are married, do you need because we live in a community property state in Arizona? Do you have to file your spouse's information as a beneficial owner as well? Yeah, I don't know. My feeling would be go ahead and file it. That's yeah. what my my gut feeling would be: go ahead and file it. Um, so that you, you know, you're you're over over reporting rather than under reporting. The other situation that will definitely come up is if a trust owns an LLC or if a trust is the owner of shares and must report, what information do you report? That's going to be the trustee information. Okay. So because the trustee controls the trust, which owns the business shares. Um, so whoever the trustee is at the time, uh, or once a trust becomes irrevocable and there's a successor trustee, I believe that successor trustee would need to change the information. Again, haven't read anything about this, just things that I've been wondering about because of situations with my own clients. Uh, but that is something to think about. You you cannot get away with not filing just because your trust owns your company. Not going to fly. That's actually a, that's a really good point. Something I hadn't thought of until this conversation because there, I mean, a, a common estate planning strategy is to have your trust be a member of your LLC, so that way the business can get wrapped up. Yes. That's way. So, uh, so that that's actually a really good point. And and I would think so. Like thinking about my situation, single member LLC, trust is involved. Um, so I'm basically almost filing twice. No, no, you, for your LLC, you are the beneficial owner. You do not have to, this is, uh, I didn't say this earlier, you don't have to tell FinCEN why you're a beneficial owner, yeah. right? You're a beneficial owner because you're the trustee of a trust, or you're the beneficial owner because you own 50%, or you're a beneficial owner because you're on a board of directors, but you don't own part of the business. You don't have to tell any of those reasons just that you are a beneficial owner of this company. So that's all that you would report. You, if you're the trustee of your trust and your trust owns your business, you're the beneficial owner. That's all that Vincent needs to know. Okay. All right. That clears that up, I think. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Clear as mud. <laughs> like anything else that comes out of Washington. So like anything else. And and again, another reason for postponing your filing for several months is these these questions will come up. There will be um, hopefully some answers. There will be some guidance. Um, FinCEN has been very good about keeping their website up to date. Um, and there are um, um, documents online. They've got a small business compliance uh, form guide uh, that you can get if you just search for small entity compliance guide. I'm sure that will come up. It's a small 56 pages long, um, but they've kept this information up to date. So as these things come up, as there are questions, 
hopefully they will be answering them in one way, hopefully in one way or the other. We'll see. Okay. Well, this has been helpful for me and I'm sure for the listeners. Well, tell the listeners, um, you know, if, if they have further questions about this, of course, we were talking earlier about, um, you know, being clear that this this podcast episode should not be constituted as legal advice or even right. advice, right? Right. But if somebody does have questions or if they want help with this or if they need to amend articles of incorporation or bylaws or things like that, how can they sure. get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. As you said, this was not legal advice. This is information only, and this is information that's available in many places if someone wants to search for it. Easy to find. Um, but if you do need help with this or if you do need um, help determining who your beneficial owners are because it's not always cut, cut, cut and dry, um, please give me um, send me an email at wendy at wendyandersonlaw.com. Or call my office at 480-825-4509 and schedule uh, some time for us to talk. And if it makes sense and we decide to work together, um, you know, at that point, then it will be considered legal advice, but we'll be formally working together and that'll be all good. So I'm happy to to assist as I can. Um, I do not file the reports for people. I will not be doing that. Um, But I can... um, just help you understand your obligations and certainly correct any information that's out there, help you do that. Okay. Perfect. Uh, well, certainly appreciate you coming on and, and talking with um, a good bit of knowledge about this topic and um, certainly, you know, fingers crossed that we can get more information out and, and the filing goes smooth and all of that. So yeah, very good. Well, Wendy, again, it's been a true pleasure. Uh, always appreciate conversations with you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dale. Take care. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like, subscribe, and share. Learn more about your financial purpose at lifemoveswealth.com.